So tonight, I'm going to be preaching a message uh, that I've called um, Still Preparing. Still Preparing. So if you're taking notes, that's the title of tonight's message. Uh, We're going to be starting the night in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. This is a Bible study. Bring your Bibles. Uh, So we're going to be starting in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And then um, we're going to be ending the night in the book of Haggai. It's an Old Testament book. So in order to prepare yourself, why don't first turn to Haggai, put a bookmark there. If you don't know where Haggai is, it's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. So find Matthew, which you should know where that is. It's the first book of the New Testament. And then go over three books. It's like five to 10 pages, depending on the size of your font. My font's a little bigger because my eyes are a little bad. So it's about 10 pages for me. But open up to, to Haggai, put a bookmark there, and then, um, and then open up to John uh, chapter 13. And um, as you all get situated with that, putting bookmarks and switching over to John 13, I'm going to go ahead and pray for the night. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you, God, that, you, uh, that you've brought us here tonight. I thank you that you've brought so many people, God, where you're, you're making us uncomfortable by having to sit next to people. And so um, I just, I thank you for that, Lord. And I just want to pray right now, Father, um, for every single person in here that we would be attentive, Lord, that we would hear your word being proclaimed. And God, I pray against any demonic presence that's here tonight, God. Uh, there, are, there are so many demons and principalities that are at work around us, Lord. And I just pray against them, Lord, that you would bind them. Lord, um, that, that people here would be free to hear what you have to say, the truths that you have to say tonight. And uh, God, I just, I pray that right now, God, that we would repent, that we would repent of any kind of demonic thinking, any kind of self, um, self-satisfying thinking, God, just clean us out, Lord. We repent, cleanse us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I did want to spend some time tonight talking about God's grace. Uh, You know, God's grace and his graciousness, it's something that, you know, we don't ever want to lose sight of. We don't want to, we don't want to forget about God's grace. Every once in a while, I I, I spend time focusing on God's grace here at Zeal Young Adults because, you know, the, the Lord has always pressed it upon my heart to be the kind of believer that has, you know, right doctrine, correct doctrine, correct theology. I'm very, I'm very cynical about a lot of preaching because that's just kind of the way the Lord has made me. Like, I, no, it has to be correct, you know? And, um, and honestly, I believe that he's called all of his children to be that, to, have, to, be, to be believers who strive for correct doctrine, who strive for correct theology. We've all been called to be disciples, and a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. And so that's what we've been called to be. So we're all called to be students of Jesus. You know, and Jesus is the word of God that became flesh. He is the word. And so we are to learn from his word. We're to be disciples. And that's the heart that I believe has been produced in this young adult's ministry over the past few years. And my desire is for all of you, for every single one of you in here, to have that heart, to, to, to desire right doctrine, to desire right theology, to know God's word also, to just to, to know God's word. You have to know God's word if you want to have right doctrine and right theology. But we have to be careful in our pursuit of right doctrine and right theology and knowing God's word. We have to be careful that we don't turn God into merely just a topic to be studied. 
He, he, he's not just a topic to be studied. He, he is our father. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He, he loves us. He loves us. You know, when, when we sin, Isaiah 6, 9 says that it hurts him. It hurts God when we sin against him. He takes that stuff personally because he has taken us personally. And so we must have good doctrine. We must. Otherwise, you're going to have a false view of God and you're going to have a false God that you are worshiping when you're singing these songs. Like, what, what God are you thinking of when you're singing these songs? Is it the true God of scripture? But we must also have a good relationship. We got to have a right relationship. And that relationship that we have with God, it's founded in large part on grace. It's, it's founded on grace. You know, God, God's love, his mercy, his grace, like all of these things, these are the things that began this relationship that we have with God. If it wasn't for God extending his love and mercy and grace, we, we wouldn't have anything. And so the thing that's, the thing that's uh, kind of difficult about grace, though, is that it can be hard sometimes to believe that God's grace is really surrounding you. It's hard to believe that sometimes because you sin, you fall short, you mess up. And you begin to think that you've exhausted God's grace, but nothing could be further from the truth. Even in the midst of you sinning against him, even in the midst of you sinning against God, in the midst of your rebellion and disobedience, God's grace is still covering you and your reward is still intact. His grace is overshadowing all of your rebellion. He doesn't change his mind about the grace that he extends towards you. He's, he's extending it. He's still extending it. His grace is relentless. Romans 5, 20 and 21, it says, but when sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace reigns in our lives now, not sin. Sin doesn't reign in our lives for those of us who are children of God, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, who've been given the right to be called children of God, sin no longer reigns. Grace has all the power now. And God's grace, it's throughout the entirety of the Bible. It's not just a New Testament thing. And so we're going to look at a New Testament example of God's grace, and we're also going to look at an Old Testament example of God's grace. And so as we prepare to look at our verses in John chapter 13, and 14. I first wanted to give you guys some context before we read. Um, the, what we're going to be reading, uh, this all took place during the Last Supper event, you know, that last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. You know, Jesus broke some bread, gave it to his disciples. He said, this represents my body that was given for you. He takes some wine, gives it to his disciples. He said, this represents my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus, he begins to wash his disciples' feet to, you know, their, their dirty, nasty feet, disgusting feet. I don't like feet, but Jesus, I don't know if he liked feet, but you know, he created those feet. And so he, yeah, he probably loved those feet. Like these are my babies, you know? And so he's cleaning their feet. Yeah. Some of y'all like, eh. <laughs> um, but Jesus, he does this to show them that they need to serve each other, that they need to love each other. That's what he, he was doing it to show us that as well. And so he begins to tell them after that, that he's about to be betrayed by one of the 12. He says, one of you is going to betray me. You know, I heard this joke one time. I've, I've told this joke before. I don't, again, I don't know if it's inappropriate, uh, but if you've heard it, I'm sorry. I'm a dad. I repeat jokes. And so it's, it's the, the scene is, is the Passover, the last supper. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And then Matthew comes up to Jesus. Everyone's all freaking out. Matthew goes up to Jesus, says, Jesus, is it me? And he says, no, Matthew, it's not you. I love you. 
And then John goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, is it me? And Jesus is like, no, John, it's not you. I, I love you. And then Judas comes up and says, Jesus, is it me? And then Jesus says, is it me? You know, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so he lets them know that he would be betrayed, you know, and, and, he, and he lets Judas know that he knows that it's going to be him who's going to betray him. And so Jesus, he tells Judas, what you do, do quickly. And so Judas heads out. And so that's where we're going to pick up. John chapter 13, we're going to read verses 31 through 38. And it says this, when Judas had left, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And we'll pause there. So Jesus, he is preparing his disciples for what's about to come. He's going to get betrayed and he's going to be glorified, which is just a euphemism for crucified. He's about to get crucified. And he's telling them, you guys, you got to love each other. You, you have to love each other. That's the only way that the people in the world are going to know that you're my disciples, by how you love each other. But then he also tells them, I'm also leaving. He tells them that he's leaving and that they can't come with him. For, for, for years, anywhere Jesus has gone, they've been able to go with him. But he's saying, no, I'm going somewhere, but you can't come with me. At least not yet. And then Peter speaks up and he says, I hear you, Jesus, loud and clear. You say, we can't go where you're going but why not? Like, why, why not? Like Jesus, why, why can't I go with you? Like I'm, I'm worthy of it, right? Like I'm, I, I'm willing to die for you. Can I please go with you? And then Jesus gives Peter a harsh truth. He says, no, Peter, you wouldn't die for me. You're, you're not going to, you wouldn't die for me. I made a bet with the rooster, Peter, and uh, you're, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times before the dawn of a new day. You will deny that you even know me, Peter. Uh, what a horrible, horrible thing to hear about yourself. He had this really high view of himself, this really high view of his devotion to God. And, and let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. People always tend to be hard on the disciples. Like, oh, Thomas was a doubter. And, oh, Peter, what a bonehead. Like, can you relax? Like, you're no better. So let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume, let's assume that Peter's words, when he said, I will die for you, they came from a place of deep love and adoration for Jesus. And he truly believed that he would go to that level of devotion with no hints of pride or arrogance. He wasn't being proud about it at all. He's like, Jesus, I would die for you. But then Jesus, he just bursts his bubble. No, Peter, you're not as devoted as you think you are. You're just not. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? Can you imagine what was going through the disciples' minds? Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind about what was going through the disciples' minds? Jesus had just finished. Jesus had just finished talking about how one of the 12 was going to betray him. 
But even after he revealed to Judas that Judas was going to be the one who's going to betray him, and after Jesus told Judas, what you do, do quickly, this is what it says in John 13, verse 28, if you want to, if you want to look. It says, None of those reclining at the table knew why Jesus said this to Judas. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So according to this text, and according to some of the other gospels, the other disciples, except for maybe John, they had no idea who was going to betray Jesus. Like Jesus just told Judas, what you do, do quickly. You're going to be the one who's going to betray me because I'm giving you this piece of bread. And the disciples were like, who's going to betray him? Where's Judas going? You know, like they didn't, they didn't know. So maybe Peter in this moment, maybe Peter in this moment of being humbled, he thought, I'm the betrayer. Like I'm the one who's going to betray Jesus. It's me. Jesus said one of us is going to betray him. And he said that I'm going to deny him three times. I'm the betrayer. We're not told explicitly in the text. It's, it's sure it's conjecture, but it's a safe assumption nonetheless that Peter was feeling pretty crummy at this moment. He felt like he let the Lord down before he even let the Lord down. He was a preemptive letdown. So as Peter is sitting in this, is sitting in this realization that he's not as devoted as he thought he was, that he wasn't as on fire as he thought he was, that he can't even trust his own well-intended thoughts and aspirations because his own well-intended thoughts and aspirations were shown by Jesus to be false. Jesus, I will die for you. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're actually going to deny me. Have any of you ever been there in a similar type of situation? Like, man, I want to do this right. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this right. I have every intention of doing this right. But man, I just can't seem to do this right. And, and as Peter is marinating in all of this, what are Jesus's next words? Let's pick back up our Bibles. John 14, these are Jesus's next words after telling Peter, John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Now, don't get thrown off by the fact that this is a new chapter. Don't get thrown off by that. This is still the same statement. This is still the same breath as the last verses of chapter 13 where Jesus burst Peter's bubble. You're going to deny me, Peter. And after he hits Peter with that harsh reality of his impending failure and betrayal, in the same breath, Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Jesus, you just told me that I'm going to deny you not once, not twice, but three times. You just told me that I'm going to betray you. Rather than me laying down my life for you, which is what I have envisioned in my head, you're telling me I'm going to betray you. Jesus, I'm troubled. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Believe in God and in me, which we all know, we should all know at this point, it's the same thing. God, Jesus, Jesus is God. And then Jesus goes on to assure his disciples and Peter, he goes on to assure his disciples and Peter that where he is going, he is going to be preparing a place for them. 
He's going to be preparing a place for them. He's going to heaven. He's going to go back to be reunited with his father. And he is going to be preparing a place for them in heaven. Yes, even you, Peter. Even you. You said you wanted to follow me, Peter, that you're going to die for me. Well, guess what, Peter? You're not. You're not going to follow me. You're not going to die for me. But Peter, yes, you are going to follow me. And yes, you are going to die for me. This is God's grace. This is God's grace. You have the best intentions to follow God and to obey him in all that you do. But then there are times where you're going to fail. There are times where you're going to just fall on your face. And God knows that you are going to fail and fall on your face. And if it, if it were possible, at any given time, you could approach God. If it were possible, at any time, you could approach God and say, God, I'm going to do this and this and this. And let him know all of the great intentions that you have to follow him and live for him. And at any given time, he would be able to tell you, inform you that, no, that's not what you're going to do. You're not as devoted as you think you are. You're actually going to fail at this. You, you're you're, you're, you're going to let me down. You're going to sin. You're not, you're not going to be as successful as you think you are in this endeavor to follow me. And even as he knows that you are going to fail him, that you are going to fall on your face, he still says to you, I am preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. My grace is so much greater than all of your failures. You could fail in your walk a hundred, a million, a trillion times over. And my grace is still going to overshadow all of that. And I'm still preparing a place for you in heaven. You are still my child. Nothing has changed. This is God's grace. It's never ending. You can't exhaust it. There, there, there's a slightly older worship song that we used to sing where it says, if grace is an ocean, then we are all sinking. Now, there, there, there's an unknown rapper who, who penned these words. He says, God makes himself known. I see the glory of him. He shows his holiness, and then he shows me my sin. And then the fear of the Lord grips me as I melt within. I start feeling woozy, like drinking bottles of gin. But then he takes me in his arms, and I'm no longer feeling grim. Because as he drowns me in his grace, I don't want to learn to swim. This is God's grace. This is God's grace. He knows all the many ways that you have failed and sinned, and he knows all the many ways that you're going to fail and you're going to sin. He could tell you every exact, disgusting, and vile, and wicked detail of all of the ways that you are going to sin against him. But because of his never-ending grace, his words to you will always be, don't let your heart be troubled. I am still preparing a place for you, and I will come back to receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And like I said, this is not just a New Testament thing. This is something that we see in the Old Testament as well. So let's see the proof. Flip over to Haggai. I hope you guys bookmarked it. Haggai. Now, context. The people were in captivity. And the portion of Haggai that we're going to read, the people of Israel, they were in captivity. Why were they in captivity? Well, God was disciplining them for refusing to repent. The people were into all kinds of sin and idolatry. God sent prophets to tell them to stop, to repent, or else, or else happened. And so the Babylonians came in, they conquered them, they killed many, they destroyed the temple, they starved others, and they took many prisoners back to Babylon. Years later, 
God begins bringing his people back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. He brings them back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, to rebuild what their own sin and disobedience had destroyed. There's some of God's grace right there. He didn't abandon his people. He, didn't, he, didn't, he, he disciplined them with the plan to restore, with the plan to return them back. They didn't deserve another chance, but God gave it to them anyway. That's grace. That's, that is unmerited favor. They did nothing to deserve that. But when God brought them back, when he brought them back to Jerusalem, after disciplining them, he brought them back, what did they do? Did, did they make the most of this second chance? Did they, were they like, oh, we're not going to mess this one up. Like, we're, we're going to do it right this time. No. Let's read Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, right off the bat, right off the bat, these words, the, uh, this stuff happens in the second year of King Darius is what, is what we just read. In the second year of King Darius. This happens the second year of King Darius. The Jews, the, Is, the Israelites, they, they, they started going back to Jerusalem during the reign of Cyrus, during the reign of the first king of Persia, Cyrus. That's when they started going back to Jerusalem. And so now we're talking about the second year of King Darius, which according to history is about 18 years later. So 18 years after all of this began, go back to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm blessing y'all to go back to Jerusalem 18 years later. So this is 18 years after this going back to Jerusalem began 18 years after the people started making their way to Jerusalem. So keep that in mind as we read verse two. The Lord of armies says this, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now I'm gonna read that again for those of you who didn't hear. The Lord of armies says, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. 18 years later, the people are saying 18 years later, it's, it's still not time to rebuild the temple, which is why God brought us back here anyway. But it's, it's, it's just not enough time has passed yet. Okay, let's continue. Verse three, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag. The bag has a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways, go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house. And I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Mm. So God, God was extending his grace to his people and bringing them back, bringing them back home for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. This is why he was bringing them back. And in the midst of that grace being extended to his people, they are rebelling again. They are back to their rebellious ways. 
They are putting themselves first. They are putting God last. I just need to make sure I take care of myself first. I need to make, I need to make sure my home is, is good and, and then I'll serve God. He is the reason you're even there. But even still, even as the people are in disobedience to God in the midst of his grace on them, he still has more grace for them. He still has more grace for them. He, he disciplines them by causing all of their work to fail for 18 years. All of their work was failing. Nothing they did was, was providing much success, but his grace is still all the more extended in that he's telling them, hey, I still want you to build the house. Like I brought you guys back to build the house. You're being disobedient, but I still want, I'm, you're still the ones that I want building my house. Even though you're being disobedient, I still want to work through you. And even when their enemies, their enemies came and, and discouraged them, saying, hey, what are you doing? You're not going to do anything. And they got discouraged. They got depressed. And the Lord is like, hey, just keep going. Even more grace, like, just keep going. I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't worry about it. And, and once you rebuild this, you're going to see that the, the new building is going to be way better than the former. It's going to be better. Keep building. I'm with you. And so if you are a believer and you are finding yourself struggling, struggling, battling to walk strongly, you keep falling short, allow his grace to move you. Allow his grace to move you. Allow his kindness to lead you to repentance. His kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's not his justice. It's not his holiness. It's not his severity. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it, it leads us to a place of truly changing our minds, truly changing the way that we think about these things. Think about the, change the way we think about our lives, the, the way that we think about sin. That's what repentance is. It's not, oh, I'm sorry I got caught. No, you're changing your mind about the thing that you were doing. That's what repentance is. Make no mistake, repentance must take place. There must be repentance. You can't continue on in willful sin and willful disobedience and expect God to bless that mess. No, no, no. God will not be mocked. A change must take place. Ask yourself, are you behaving just like the Israelites in the Haggai? Are you behaving just like them? Examine yourself. Are you behaving like them? God, God charged them he charged them with the crime of neglecting his house while they focused their time and energy building their own houses. They said after 18 years, they said it's still not time to work on God's house, the very purpose he brought us back to Jerusalem. We still, we still got work to do over here. Are you doing the same thing? As a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you are the temple of God. You are the house of the Lord. As a believer, are you spending all of your time and energy building your own house, building your own kingdom, and neglecting the house of the Lord, this temple that you have been given? 
You're, 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 you're spending all your time making sure that you, you have a good life, making sure that your, your, your finances are settled, making sure that you're, you're well taken care of, make sure you got your retirement plan set up, make sure you got your career in order, make sure you're, you're making sure all of these things in your life are, are going right so that you can be comfortable later, but you're ignoring your relationship with the Lord and building the house of God. He's residing in you. Are you focused on yourself? You wonder why you're struggling spiritually? You wonder why you're battling spiritually? You're, you're wondering why you just can't seem to grow spiritually? You wonder why you seem to be lacking spiritually? You wonder why you're not spiritually mature? Start building. Start building the Lord's house. Stop focusing on your house. Start, start building his house. Take your walk with Jesus seriously. Take it seriously. The Lord told the Israelites, he said, think carefully about your ways. Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house. Build my house and I will be pleased with it and I will be glorified. The Lord said, he said that to the Israelites and he's saying the same thing to you tonight. Saying the same thing. You don't need to repeat another prayer. You don't need to raise your hand again to receive Christ. You don't need to go forward at another altar call. You don't need all that. Think carefully about your ways and get to work. Think carefully about your ways and get to work. And his grace will surround you. His grace will strengthen you to repent and to follow him. The Lord also said, you expected much, but it amounted to little. He said this to the Israelites, and he's saying the same thing to us tonight. You expected to have the abundant life in Jesus, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Why? Why are you not growing? Well, the Lord says, because my house still lies in ruins. My house is, is just lying in ruins. You haven't done anything to build my house. Meanwhile, you're focused on your own house. You just need to abide in him. Just abide in Jesus, abide in his word and his grace. His grace is there. It's, his grace is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Just waiting for you to receive it. And if there's anyone in here who does not have a faith in Jesus Christ, well, then here's a harsh truth for anybody in here who is not a Christian, who is not following Jesus. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus. All, the, all this, this stuff about God's grace being so available, it's not available to you. It's not yours. This grace doesn't belong to you. It, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't apply to you. As far as God is concerned, if you are outside of Christ, the only thing he's waiting to give you is his justice. He's going to pour out his wrath because of your sins, the way that you've sinned against him and broken his law. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's not only just, he's also love. And he took care of justice. He poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. Your sins were applied to Jesus's account and he was punished on the cross. He was, he, he was killed, he was buried, he resurrected. And if you believe in that, if you receive that, then God, after applying your sin to his account, will take all of Jesus's righteousness and then apply it to your account. All you need to do is believe Receive and repent. Turn away from the old lifestyle and follow Jesus. 
His grace is available to everybody. But if you have not received this salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ, the only thing available to you right now is condemnation. Jesus said that condemnate, you already got condemnation on you. That's why when he came the first time, he said, I didn't come here to judge because y'all are judged already. Like, yo, if people are like, Jesus didn't come to judge. Yeah, because you're already judged. Well, how's he, how's he going to judge you again? You're already going to hell. He's not going to send you to hell again. You're already going there. He came to save. That's why he died. Took all of your sins on the cross so that you, yo, you got to recognize. You need to recognize that you are a sinner. Not, not like, oh, we all mess up. No, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You have, you have violated God's law. You need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came to give. So that's, that's, what, that's what's available for all of us. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's available to you. Just change your mind. Just repent. Just believe. Profess faith in Jesus Christ. Let the demons know that you believe in Jesus and then get ready for the warfare. But you have eternal life. Um, so that's it. Short and sweet because I want to make sure we have time for prayer. So um, I'm going to pray to close this out and then we're going to break off into groups. I'll explain how. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your justice was satisfied, your wrath was satisfied, and, and, and when you punished your son and you crushed him. And now all that's available for us is grace. And God, I pray that your grace would flood us, Lord. I pray that we would truly understand your grace and your forgiveness and your love, Lord. And um, I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.